Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday, September 24th, 2019. I'm Orla Carmody. On today's programme, one million people on waiting lists for acute hospital appointments. Irish people stranded following the Thomas Cook collapse. Oroctus envelopes used to post invitations to a conference. And older people getting fleeced by scammers. But first, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and the European Council President Donald Tusk have confirmed that no workable proposals to replace the backstop have come from the UK as yet. They met in New York and later today the Taoiseach meets with British Prime Minister Boris Johnson with the Taoiseach saying he hopes progress will be made. We're joined now by Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media and the Meath Chronicle. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, Ola. Now, I know the headlines are all about the carbon tax this morning. We might get a chance to come to that later. But first of all, um, a deal, the best option, that seems to have been the outcome of, of the meeting with uh, Tusk and Varadkar. Yeah, well, I think that that wouldn't really be considered much of a surprise by most people. And unfortunately, you know, it's going to be blanket saturation coverage about Brexit for the next three or four or five weeks going up to Halloween. And yet, as it stands for the last couple of weeks, there actually hasn't really been much movement of any sort at all. Obviously, Donald Tusk uh, met with Leo Varadkar and then separately with Boris Johnson yesterday. After his meeting with Boris Johnson, he said no breakdown, but no breakthrough. Meaning that basically both sides are continuing with their points. Europe says you gave us a backstop, now you have to find something that does the same job. Boris Johnson saying, well, it wasn't my government that gave you the backstop and my whole point is to try and get rid of it, which means that no one is any the closer. Um, the outcome of Leo Varadkar was the usual point. I think maybe if there's any good news to be taken from it, it's, I guess it's that uh, Europe doesn't show any sign of softening, that there, there might have been a perception once upon a time that Ireland could be thrown under the bus pretty late in the day to try and ensure that there was a deal at the last minute and to ensure that German and French and Italian industries didn't suffer from any sort of a trade inhibition with the UK. But it, it seems that Europe is at least sticking to its principles, that it's valuing peace over profit and commerce, uh, which, which might be seen as a good thing. But either way, uh, the, the clock ever ticking, five and a half weeks now to go until Brexit and still no sign of a breakthrough. And it is worth bearing in mind, Orla, Although it is five and a half weeks to Brexit, the, the European summit at which any possible deal could be ratified in order to make that Halloween Brexit not a, a no-deal crash-out would have to be ratified at an EU summit two weeks earlier. That's October the 17th. But even then, uh, the deal would have to be drafted and kind of, you know, cleared by all 27 governments really in practice before that. So you're really looking at maybe there, there being three weeks at most to try and get a deal. And yes, 
when Boris Johnson and Donald Tusk sat down last night, it seemed that neither side was, was budging from their positions. And, and as you Ireland, say, in order to get something on paper, you know, moving forward by the 17th, the language would need to be a bit softer. And I noticed a lot of fighting talk uh, in New York last night from the Taoiseach. He was saying uh, the one thing he does know about Brexit for the last few years, that there, the people in Britain, as you said, perhaps in government, who, who took the view that uh, the French, the Germans, the countries would, 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 would gang up on us. And that's never happened. And he sort of said he was going to really hold firm and he said maybe even people in Ireland believe we're going to fold and give up our position and that's not going to happen. It's a little bit entrenched to achieve the kind of movement you feel is needed in the next yeah. few weeks to meet, yeah. meet that October 17 deadline. Yeah, it, it is. And when people talk about it last week and everyone was saying that the mood music was very good and of course everyone is very positively disposed towards the deal. And in fairness, I think the fallout from Boris Johnson's meeting in Luxembourg was actually that Boris Johnson began to maybe understand that a deal would not be quite as, you know, much easier said than done and that he would really need to put in some legwork. And I think there are signs of that legwork, but the, the principle remains that neither side is really budging from its position. And Boris Johnson very explicitly last week said that the backstop through any means, whether it's time limited or only applies to one corner of the United Kingdom or what have you, is ultimately, as he sees it, a means by which the EU still gets to control what happens in the UK after Brexit. And so to him, that is completely unacceptable. And that's why he sees, you know, with, with some legitimacy, that he quite liked to change it. The problem being that uh, the Irish, you know, we talk about all of this thing in the nature of how do we avoid a hard border. And actually, there's more to the backstop than just avoiding physical infrastructure between Louth and Armagh. There's also the fact of that the backstop would remove the need for there to be tariffs on anything imported either side, north, south of the border, or indeed east-west as well. So it's not just about the, the physical infrastructure and the perception of peace, but it is also about trade. And although trade north-south isn't actually all that massive in the grand scheme of things, it is still an important part. But, but nonetheless, Boris Johnson says, you know, the whole point of Brexit is that we can liberate ourselves from European trading rules and go off and strike new trade deals with the United States or China or all these other parts of the world. To do that inherently means having a different trading regime from the EU, and that means a trading frontier and, and customs posts necessary at some point as well. So there, there is so much tied up in the backstop that, that honestly, I know everyone says that they want to have a deal, and politicians are, are employed to try and, and you know find these things. So someone once described politics as the art of the possible, you know, but. Um, to be honest, at this, at this state stage in the day, given that the deal would really need to be starting drafted up in, in about three weeks' time, I, I genuinely don't see any way in which the UK could come to the table and find something that was acceptable to the UK, uh, something acceptable to the European Union, which was also acceptable to itself. And at, the, at this point, I certainly don't see the EU uh, backing down. I mean, Michel Barnier was even in, in uh, Berlin yesterday meeting with the German Foreign Minister Heiko Maas, and he said afterwards, um, you know, based on the current position of the UK and the, the policy red lines that they've, they've put down, I just don't see any way of us having a legally operable deal. Nonetheless, we'll keep trying. But, you know, with three weeks to go after nearly three years of negotiations, it's difficult to see how you'd bridge that gap now. Now, obviously, the EU Commission President, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, is also in New York. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, they're all there. I know at these kind of uh, summits, sidebar meetings are terribly important. Do you think they'll be paddling hard as such to try and get things to move? Uh, I think that what will probably happen is that any time that any of these sidebar meetings involve Boris Johnson, I think probably it will become a, a little bit more emotive maybe behind the scenes that the other European leaders will, you know, not be prepared to back down, but that they will at least sort of say to Boris Johnson, look, I mean, the, the, the consequences are really enormous here. And, and if you're going to go with a no deal, then so be it. But we just want you to be absolutely clear that, you know, these are the red lines we have and these are the reasons for our red lines, that we're not just 
dogmatic people who are holding to the backstop because we have some Machiavellian desire to keep controlling London long after you've gone. I mean, to be honest, the reality of global trading rules is that Brussels will still have a huge influence, irrespective of whether the UK is actually a member state or not. Um, But what will probably happen is that Boris Johnson will equally say, well, I, I get where you're coming from. But that my policy is still to get rid of the backstop because I, people in, in, at home in Britain didn't vote for there to be ongoing Brussels control of London after we left the European Union. And so then you have these two uh, intractable sides. Uh, I mean, the cyber media are all very important. And of course, there, there are other things going on in the world other than Brexit, and there'll be a lot to be found there. But um, like I said, it, it is difficult to see how that sort of common ground can be established. And when you think about how much of a distraction there is over there with, with um, climate action and everything else too, Brexit can't even occupy um, a lot of their minds. The only way in which it might begin to completely occupy Boris Johnson's mind is if we find out in about an hour's time from the UK Supreme Court uh, that Parliament is being recalled because it was illegally uh, prorogued for five weeks and that could maybe suddenly give MPs the opportunity to to force Boris Johnson's hand a little bit more but um, I I still think it would be uh, pretty ambitious to think that... Would you call it which way that result is going to come in? Uh, I well, I wouldn't call. I'm not nearly <laughs> enough of, a, of an expert in UK constitutional law. It's anyone's history. guess. Uh, and anyone, the, the, the people who I who I respect who have been following it very closely, seem to think that the, the way in which the judges were framing their questions late last week, that it is likely that the prorogation will be declared to have been illegal or illegally done. But they may stop short of saying well, we're going to force you to recall um, Parliament in the first place. Because, you know, do bear in mind, Parliament is regularly prorogued for three weeks at this time of the year, every year anyway, and there's never a problem. The suspension mm-hmm. itself is never illegal. It's only the manner in which it might have been done this time. So even if this one is declared to have been done illegally, it's very possible that that number 10 could go back to the Queen and say, all right, sorry about that, Your Majesty, but can we do this legally? This all time? to be seen later on today. Gavin Riley. thank you very much for joining us today. Now, the public are to be hammered with a carbon tax. It's over drilling for for oil off Ireland's coast is to end. The Taoiseach's pledge to end oil exploration. These are the kind of headlines we're seeing this morning following that meeting in New York. And we're joined now by Oisín Coughlin, Director of Friends of the Earth. Oisín, do you take heart from some of this or is it so very complex it's a long way down the road? No, I think it's worth uh, people looking at the Taoiseach's speech. It's on the, RT, it's on the RTE website and, and it's on the, it, 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 in video and it's a uh, it's, it's on the MarianStreet.ie uh, website of government information. It's, it's not a bad speech. It's pretty clear. So it's, you said, is it very complicated? Obviously, it's a complex issue, but it's, he's pretty clear about the direction of travel. And it's kind of more plain speaking than many speeches I've seen from Irish leaders on climate change. It doesn't, go every, it doesn't do everything I'd like to do or go as fast as I'd like to go. But it is another step in the right direction. You know, we've seen since the Taoiseach described Ireland as a climate laggard at the beginning of last year, his government has taken steps to put us on the right path. Now, we're still not moving fast enough or going far enough yet, uh, but we are going in the right direction. Now, um, obviously, the Taoiseach has said he wants Ireland to be known as a green country, which is a good soundbite. But in reality, uh, the public, if we are to be hammered with a carbon tax, uh, there might be a bit of resistance to it. Well, first of all, I don't think we're going to be hammered. We already have a €20 Euro carbon tax they're talking at most now of a, of a 10-euro of of increase on a carbon tax. 
that would bring in about 100 million a year from across the whole economy. So it's not, it's not a, a massive tax increase it's, at all. Not, and not really, massive to many, but massive to some, for example, no, if you're a pensioner and exactly, it's another few euro really on your bank. Of course, yeah. where it's really important that the government does this properly. Uh, and there's two ways of doing it, and it looks like they're choosing one over the other. One way is to, to, is to do it well. One is to give it straight back to everybody in, a, in an equal share check, a dividend, um, which means that they're protected from, from the impacts of the tax. And if they choose to reduce their emissions, or if they're able to reduce their emissions, they end up with extra cash in their pocket. And if they're a pensioner, if they're someone who can't afford to to reduce emissions very fast, well, then they're protected from the impact of the tax. Because Although it would be fair to say that that cashback idea backfired in the instance of water, for example. So we would wait to see how that one would work. Well, but obviously, the water issue was, was badly handled from the beginning. It, it, it wasn't the cashback that people, the people uh, uh, didn't like so much. It was, it was the whole framing of the issue by, by the government and how they handled it. It looks like anyway that the government's going to do a ring-fenced fund, which in one sense is a real victory. The Department of Finance never wants to, to ring-fence money at all always wants it all in one big pool that it controls. So the that is retains the right to spend it as well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they're going, to, they're going to, whereas they are going to ring fence now, any increase in the carbon tax will be ring fenced and spent specifically on protecting the vulnerable from the impact of the tax and helping for the transition away from, from, from a, a fossil fuel heavy economy. So for example, particularly to help the workers and communities in the Midlands as we transition out of gas, the workers and communities around Money Point as we, as we transition out of coal. So that, that is a good move. I think they would have to show people, though, exactly how they're spending that money and exactly how it will protect the most vulnerable in order to build the public acceptance. But the, the key point is that carbon tax is only one measure. It's nothing like enough on its own at all. And I, and I hope the government doesn't lead on talking about that. I think the other things that they are doing and should do are, are more important than the carbon tax. But obviously, uh, the carbon tax is the way it's the way forward, because as you say, it's going to be ring fenced. But underlying that is, as you're suggesting, there, it's, a, it's about transforming our behaviour. It's about educating us and even encouraging us to change our behaviours around fossil fuels, isn't it? Well, I, 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 this is the government narrative, which I'm hoping they're changing, because I actually don't think it's about individual behaviour in the first instance. It's about system change. This is a massive project. Um, and we do, you, know, we, you, do, you don't win the Second World War by saying we're going to nudge people, which is Leo's old phrase, nudge individuals to choose to join the army. It's a mass mobilisation of your society and of your economy to face an existential threat. And that is exactly what we're facing now. So it was really good last night to hear the Taoiseach say that we need to have a system change in our energy, in our transport, in our buildings. So, so to give you an example around system versus individual, the biggest thing we can do around energy and electricity is taking peat and coal off our grid, off our system. Individuals can't do that. They can only choose who they get their, their energy from or they, what light bulbs to put in. The government is, those, is who will decide that we're going to stop burning coal and stop burning peat. And once we do that, and sooner than five or ten years, like, like, like it's been talked about, then every choice we make, and particularly if we make cleaner choices to have an electric car or an electric heat pump in our houses, every choice we make will be less polluting because our electricity will, be, will, be, will be, have less fossil fuels in it. Are there capacity thing. gaps in, you know, to power a growing population? Obviously, you're talking about systemic change there, but there are gaps. We know that, don't we? Um, no, there's plenty of energy, and, and the Irish grid has been very, very good at managing change over the years. We, we, we now cope 
and, and integrate rather uh, far more wind energy than most than most grids around the world and we've become world experts at it and there's no shortage of gas like we're going to be importing gas from Scotland for quite some time to come I'm sure uh, but the sooner we get peat off the system uh, the better and Money Point actually because it's old and creaky was offline for most of last winter and in fact the lights stayed on and nobody noticed and it's been offline quite a bit this year too some of the peat stations have been offline the lights are fine what's happening is we're, uh, we're much less polluting as a result, though. Now, I think there is one question, which is, can we afford to keep incentivizing massive international data centers in Ireland? Uh, because they, the projections are now that they will take up one-third of, our, of our, our electricity in 2030, and there's plans to build four gas-fired power stations just to power uh, data centers. That's a bit weird. And potentially even to import fracked gas. You know, as you know, you'll be banned fracking in Ireland. Uh, to import fracked gas from the U.S., just to power data centres. I'm not sure that's the direction the country wants to go. We need to have a, a proper national conversation about that. All right. Oisín Coughlin, Director of Friends of the Earth, thank you so much for joining us today on LMFM. And not wishing to be facetious, but the wonderful children who campaigned for climate change last Friday, apparently it was reported that many of them brought single-use plastic bottles with them and left them behind. So that's the individual action we're talking about. And it's obviously Oisín uh, is more concerned about the systemic action. Still to come in the programme, an update in the Garda search in the Kevin Lunny case. We'll take a break. Orla Carmody on LMFM. The acute hospital system across the country is crumbling. Hospital consultants have claimed at their annual conference. They say there are over one million people on waiting lists and that even straightforward new services cannot be opened or operated fully due to the shortages of doctors. Martin Varley is the General Secretary of the Irish Hospital Consultants Association and he joins us now. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Orla. Now, your members are bracing yourselves for a very tough winter. They are indeed. In fact, our conference was attended by record numbers of consultants. Almost 200 attended the conference. What our hospital consultants are saying, and they've been saying for some time now, is that care can't wait and that our waiting lists are far, far too long. And that's not good for patients. And unfortunately, uh, because of the delays in people being diagnosed and assessed and being treated, their outcomes are not as good. So we're effectively highlighting this repeatedly now because uh, our waiting list figures are at record levels, over a million on waiting lists of various sorts. There's 570,000 people waiting to be seen by a consultant. And this is really because the government's discriminatory policy going back a number of years that's now driving our highly trained specialists abroad. We need those specialists to stay in Ireland, to come back to Ireland, to bring down our waiting lists. We have one of the lowest number of consultants on a population basis in the EU and about a fifth of our approved posts are now unfilled. We'll come uh, to that in a moment, Martin Varley, but first the, the waiting list and the actual backlog you're seeing. Your concern is that because it's already at pressure point, indeed at bursting point in September, that by November, December, you're dreading what it's going to be like. We are, yes, because this thing has been getting progressively worse. The, the waiting lists are going up and up. Uh, the outpatient waiting lists have gone up by over 200,000 in the last few years. They're going up by 7,000 a month. So our public hospitals are extremely challenged with those record waiting lists and also record numbers of patients being treated on trolleys. Last year, there were 108,000 patients who received part or all of their care on trolleys. Very often we're talking about elderly patients. We're actually talking about sick patients who've been admitted to hospital. And we're very, very concerned if the Aussie flu, which has been very severe in the winter just gone in Australia, if that hits us, and if there's anything near as bad as it was in Australia, we just will not have the capacity to cope. 
Uh, that's a very, very real worry because every winter has been difficult already. This could be an even worse winter. And from a patient uh, or indeed from a consultant perspective, treating somebody on a trolley cannot be ideal. It must be a very difficult place to treat somebody with no pr- privacy. Well, this that is extremely stressful for the patient. There's no privacy. You're in a situation where there's a lot of noise, a lot of movement, uh, lights flickering all night. You can't get sleep. Uh, toilet facilities are inadequate. The list goes on. And in fact, doctors and nurses very often can't hardly squeeze themselves between the trolleys in, in EDs, which are so overcrowded and corridors so overcrowded. So really, we should have been dealing with this years ago. But during the financial crisis, there was no investment. And in fact, our acute hospitals had been starved of funds. <clears throat> and we don't have the necessary beds. This can be done over time, but it'll be slow. Uh, can't, there's no magic wand. But what we can do, in fact, is we can actually attract back consultants, highly trained specialists, and fill the 20% of our posts that are vacant. That would be hugely important. So I'm just looking at the, the waiting list for the Loud Meat Hospitals, for Drogheda, Navan, and for Dundalk. There are 22,000 patients waiting to see a consultant. That's up 11% in one year and up 21% in four years. And uh, over 4,000 4, of those people are waiting more than one year. In other words, 19% are waiting over a year. The now, you mentioned the, uh, academ- the epidemic, the flu epidemic in Australia and New Zealand. Is this a new strain or is this just a general concern about the winter flu that we, we get the normal vaccinations for? I think it's a, a slightly different strain and I'm not at all sure that our vaccine will cover it adequately. So there's always a little bit of a hit and miss and it's a bit of a... Uh, random exercise as to what strains you cover off in the vaccine. So the question is, will the vaccine be as effective as it needs to be? And the strain is somewhat more virulent, somewhat more difficult to control to vaccine. So it doesn't all go well. Uh, we don't want to be alar- too alarmist. But what we need to do is do whatever we can to actually prepare for this. And capacity is not on our side because the government has not invested in extra beds. We now have actually 300 fewer beds than we had 10 years ago, although the population is something like 9% higher. And we didn't have enough beds 10 years ago, so you can imagine how stressed we are today. We don't have enough ICU beds, in fact, uh, to look after patients in intensive care. The occupancy rate in some of those ICU units units is over 100%, whereby people have to be shifted in and out of the the beds as the day and the week goes on. Uh, So there's real stretch problems in terms of us trying to provide the care in the hospital. Now we hear regularly that part of the reason why there is the capacity issue in in hospitals is closure of parts of hospitals, closure of wards because of a lack of staff. And anecdotally we hear that young people who qualify as nurses or doctors, the first thing they do is take off for Australia because the wages are so much better. There is an element of that and it's happening increasingly and yes the, the wages are better and the taxation levels are much lower so we're not competitive. But in terms of uh, the consultants, there, there is at least an easy fix for for that, as far as we can see. Uh, in 2012, Dr. James Riley, who was the Minister for Health, cut the new entrant consultant salary by over 30%. So that's a similar situation that happened with the teachers. New people to the profession were being paid less by, by people currently there. Absolutely, but in fact it was even worse for the consultants because they suffered a 10% cut which the teachers suffered and on top of that they suffered a further 30% cut. So it's not surprising we haven't been able to get applicants for over a third of our posts and now we're at a stage whereby a fifth of all the consultant posts can't be filled at 
on a permanent basis. Now, I know it is normal for... That type of problem. Yeah, I know it's normal for consultants to travel to get experience. They must do terms abroad for six months or a year. But you're saying this problem is much greater than that now. Consultants are actively seeking posts elsewhere. Yes, exactly. They're going in bigger numbers. They're going earlier in their training, in their in their special training, and they're not coming back in the numbers that we would we would like and that we would have previously seen. So we're having an exodus. In fact, if we want to put it very simply, whereby the new highly trained specialist that we need to keep does not see their career in Ireland because of what they see is absolute discrimination being imposed by the government. I often describe it as flicking a light switch. If we restored parity, treat them the same as we would have treated all of their colleagues and get them equal pay for equal work, as has been supported now by all the parties, including Sinn Féin, including Pina Fall at our conference on the weekend. Everybody is supporting this, except for the government. The government is talking about doing it, but doing nothing. And that's the infuriating thing. It's an easy fix. And if we filled our posts, at least we'd bring down our waiting list and we'd have people being treated more quickly to get better outcomes. And you know what? They'd have shorter lengths of stay in hospitals which would actually mean we could actually treat more people and with fewer people in trolleys. So, so that would be a saving in the long the term. It would be a long term gain if, if people were, were well quicker, as you say. Absolutely. Leaving people in waiting lists is the absolutely wrong way to be running a health service. No other economy would do this. And uh, there are ways of fixing it, as I've just been describing. And what we're asking uh, the public to do, because the public have to speak up on this, the public have to say to the politicians, we want our waiting list brought down. We want you to do what's the obvious things in terms of solutions. Fill our consultant posts so we're not left in waiting list for so long. And secondly, over time, extra beds into the system because we're a growing and we're an ageing population. We need more beds. Do you and see any light at the end of the tunnel, Martin Varley? Have you any uh, hope of a meeting with government of some uh, some situation where you can take your case forward? Yes, we have a hope, and we'll take the Minister for Health at his word, Simon Harris. He said he would meet the consulting groups, the representative bodies, ourselves and others, during September. Uh, the last day in September is next Monday. I'm still waiting for a date for a meeting. And that doesn't all go well, but I still have hope. And I think, you know, it's, it's really important that the public actually speak out on this and say, we want solutions. We don't want to be left in a situation of longer and longer waiting lists. So you're calling on the Minister to, to, to meet his obligation to you or at least his promise to you to have a meeting before the end of the month? Absolutely, before next Monday. And we're available at all times, uh, be it on the weekend or whatever, like we were last weekend. Uh, you'll never find a situation where consultants can't actually make themselves available for a meeting. These people are used to working 24 hours a day during their training and they're on call seven days a week. Uh, we're aghast at anybody is not in a position to meet us who are available 24 So you will take that meeting at the drop of a hat if the Minister offers it, offers it and hopefully that will come good for you and that is Martin Varley the General Secretary of the Irish Hospital Consultants Association thanks for joining us on LMFM this morning Orla Carmody on LMFM We have on the line now Pat Dawson the CEO of the Irish Travel Trade Association with the update on the number of Irish people affected by the collapse of the British travel company Thomas Cook Good morning Pat Good morning, Aura. It's a very sad end for a name that defined modern travel, really, isn't it? It it is, yeah. But it's it's already it has has been ailing for uh, for for many many years as such. And I mean, they had a they had a debt of one point six billion uh, sterling, and they were carrying that, and they had to make a hundred million a year to cover the debt alone. So 
the the operation it's 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 not a shock uh, it's not a shock to to the trade as such both in the UK and Ireland uh, but certainly if you, if you're in the middle of it and you're trying to get home or whatever else it, it it's 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 bad news then again you know like like over in Ireland you know people's money are covered um refunds will be made um and the disruptions are the disruptions and uh, you know i i see from social media people trying to book new holidays and of course um um greedy airlines have now come in and put up prices and so forth and so on so you know that's 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 the downside of it but but certainly um that model is is a very old model and really in 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 the day the day and the age of technology and and the way people and the way us travel agents do business, uh, they were behind the eight ball, so to speak. Now, obviously, uh, this is, as you say, uh, very tough for people who might find themselves in the situation of being stranded um, somewhere abroad after what they thought was going to be a lovely restful holiday. But in the sense that um, the, the Travel Trade Association, I know you did sterling work 20, 30 years ago when there was a number of these instances of collapse of uh, travel companies and you introduced the bonding arrangement now. So are the people in this instance covered or because it's a UK based company rather than an Irish company, does that leave the people who travelled with them more vulnerable? Well, anyone, you know, anyone that would have, would have, would have travelled with them, uh, they, are, they, they have the equivalent to us. They're, they're, all car or Commission of Aviation and their equivalent is the CAA, uh, which is a government body like CAR. So they are covered and, and they have eight tall licences uh, like everyone down south. So the cover is there and, and, and people will get refunds uh, from holidays that, that are cancelled and they'll be flown home. So the cover is there and, and, and that's the good side of it. The disappointment is terrible and, and the fact that people are waiting on aircraft to come home as such, but the cover is there and, and fully covered. So you will have to pay for the flight home yourself, but you will get it refunded, but you do have to outlay the flight in the first instance. No, you won't have to pay it. No, you get home okay. You, you, the, the British government are flying everybody home, so you get home okay. But if, if, if you want to rebook, for example, if you're going in four or five weeks' time, and, and you know, remember, these, these people carried uh, millions of people, you know, you will get a refund on the holiday that's booked, but you will have to pay money up front now to book a, a new holiday, so to speak. So but anyone that's out abroad will get home free of charge. So dealing with the people abroad, first of all, if you were halfway through a two-week holiday, say, for example, or just three days into it, and this all goes pear-shaped, you know, and the hotel you're staying in, do they actually ask the people to leave? Do they say, no, we no, can't honour the holiday? They're told, they're told uh, as per the, the Thomas Cook website, to continue your holiday and you'll be flown home on, on, on the day that, that you're supposed to be flown home. So that's all taken care of in the scheme of things. And that's why, as, as you went back, it's probably 40-odd years in Ireland when, when, when we introduced bonding and, and licensing, and the UK were the same, even a bit earlier as such. And, and, and that's, that's the, the good news. Now, I mean, I see this morning, for example, that a, a French airline uh, went to the wall uh, last night and we just got informed at nine o'clock this morning and uh, if an airline go, goes belly up uh, there's no li- there's no airlines that that are, are bonded or licensed or whatever where travel agents and tour operators are so in that instance somebody who has booked a flight in their own regard as a lot of people do themselves going online yeah. and they don't use packages they really need travel insurance to cover that well yeah but travel insurance then you know th- 
that there is, uh, you know, there's travel insurance and it's like health. It's like, as you know, with the health scheme insurance, there's all sorts of policies. And it, it's the upper end of, of the cost of travel insurance that will cover supplier failure. But most people just take regular insurance. And in, in that case, they wouldn't be covered for a failure like this. So they would have to find a flight um, on the way home themselves. And as you yes, say, um, the other airlines are probably slapping up the cost of those flights right now, knowing that this disarray is, is underway. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, uh, as this, they were saying on, on Sky this morning, they're making hay when the sun shines, which is an, an awful thing. But that's what's going on. And, and that's the, that, that is the reality as such. And, and, and their share prices uh, go up, you know, so, so they're feeling good, but uh, you know, I mean, the big people are affected, as, as you say, or are uh, the employees. Uh, I mean, all of them will not will not get will not get jobs, unfortunately. And and now that we're coming towards the end of of of, of the summer season, many of them are working abroad, and 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 our job opportunities probably won't come up until if they do until March or April. Now, maybe. There might be a, a buy-over of, 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 of the carnage that's left or whatever else, but, you know, their debts are, are, are so high that it's hard to see anything or any phoenix rising from the ashes, as we say, uh, to, to uh, make matters better as we speak at the moment. As you say, um, it, it had carried so much uh, debt for so long. Obviously, the, the damage was done there. They were fighting a losing battle, trying to save the company by moving part of their business online to, to my travel, and that didn't work. But there still has to be some value in the brand name Thomas Cook. I mean, it is just a legendary brand name. You would wonder, will somebody try and pull that out of, of the mess? I would think so, and I would hope so. And as you rightly say, you know, it, it, it was the start of, of, of travel as such. And, uh, you know, they, they started off as a, as a mere just travel agent. But now, uh, I mean, I mean, the, the problem are, with the, I mean, their mix of businesses that they, they own the airline, they own the hotels, and, and they owned, you know, hundreds of travel shops around now. I mean, the first real signs, of, and my travel, you have a good memory, my travel was painful stuff. But in recent years, last year, as you know, we had we had really good weather and, and the travel trade suffered all over the place. And, and, and because they have three fingers in the pot, so to speak, the airline did poorly, the hotels did poorly, and their travel shops did poorly. So with the combination of those three items, that certainly cost them an awful lot of money when, when there is a, a downturn, which which there was as such, and and hence, you know, uh, the, the banks uh, and and the stock exchange got tired of it and, and and just pulled the plug. Just pulled the plug. And finally, then Pat Dawson, your advice to anybody listening who may have a package booked with Thomas Cook in the next few weeks or months. Well, if 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 you have, uh, what what will happen is you you will be refunded. Now that would you know with with a massive amount of administration, it I I don't actually know when refunds will come through, but it'll probably be two, three, four months. But that that is guaranteed. And and should you have the finances to rebook a new holiday, you can do that. But but you will get your money back, 
and that's the good thing of, of But just of don't traveling. hold your breath which is not I suppose no, good news no. for anybody who'd planned a, a big trip but look there's nothing exactly. to be done Alright Pat Dawson the CEO of the Irish Travel Trade Association thank you for joining us this morning on LMFM Later on the programme older people getting fleeced by telephone scammers we have former Government Minister Mary O'Rourke sharing her experience We'll take a break Orla Carmody on LMFM And now it's time for your texts and comments and here as usual is Marie Kearns. Good morning Marie, what have we got today? Good morning, Orla, and good morning to everybody listening in. Plenty coming in in relation to climate change. Lots of concerns and viewpoints. Mary phoned in. She wants to know where the money is going to come from for all the retrofitting that is going to be needed in homes all over the country if the government is to push ahead with their plans to make homes more environmentally friendly. Like many others, she fully supports the idea of making her home more green, so to speak. But she says that she doesn't have the money to make the necessary changes herself. The government needs to look at making subsidies or grants available in the future to help those who want to play their part in the fight on climate change but may not be financially able to do it. Well, that's a great comment and we'll have more on the programme later on on that exact issue. Susan says that while she finds uh, Greta Turnberg inspirational, to say the least, given that what she's achieved over the past year, she was a little unsettled watching her speech at the UN Climate Change Summit because she seemed so emotional when she was speaking. Susan worries that the pressure of what she is trying to achieve is beginning to get to the youngster and says she hopes she has access to the support services she needs to keep her physical and mental health up while she continues the fight. A, a wonderful point. We were just having that conversation ourselves we this morning, just concerned about her and how she's bearing up under it all. It's an awful lot for a 15-year-old. Absolutely. Uh, when I was 15, I certainly wasn't thinking about climate Indeed. change and what was Indeed. happening to the world. I was more interested in where I was getting my next CD or record from, <laughs> the single from. David from Trim says, Orla, you hit the nail on the head. How much is the government going to give towards packages to, to help homeowners comply with new regulations when they come down the line. Sandra from Drogheda, everyone is going on about the need to protect the planet. But here in Ireland, we're only a small nation, Orla. Will it make much difference in the grand scheme of things? What we do also, how will we be able to afford it? Jim from Navin text in and he's giving out about school children out cleaning up areas. He thinks it's disgraceful that they shouldn't have to be picking up litter after so-called civilised adults. Uh, he says that clowns, these clowns as he's calling the, the adults, have no respect for the planet and think it's someone else's job to go to clean up after them. He says he doesn't agree with the schools allowing children to go out and be involved in these clean up projects. Well that's an interesting one and I think the young people actually think differently than I certainly do on it because I spoke to a young person this summer who was doing a work experience with an accountancy firm and the best day they had was when the accountancy firm as part of their corporate social responsibility plan sent them all out with high vis vests and the little hand pickers to pick up the litter on the canal and he said that was the best day of his work experience because he felt he was contributing something. So they think differently. Isn't that amazing? Jerry says you have to laugh at all this 
talk about climate change and them all flying to the States. Could they not have had the summit by Skype, says Jerry? And finally, the last one on uh, climate change. Fuel poverty, fuel poverty is already happening in Ireland. Uh, what will it be like if people have to ma- pay more for their fuel, says another listener. So I've more on other topics if we get a chance later on, Orla. All right, Marie Kearns, thank you very much indeed for that. Now, Sinn Féin says a party member mistakenly used 42 Oireachtas envelopes to issue invitations to a recent event in Dundalk. Loud Sinn Féin councillor has come under the spotlight after invitations to a conference he was hosting were posted in Oireachtas envelopes and he joins us now on the line, a councillor Rory Murakou. Thanks for joining us. All right. Hello, Orla. Good morning. Now, I know you're nominated as a general election candidate. You're going to be uh, replacing Gerry Adams, all going well. But you can't be allowing this kind of thing happen, can you? No, I hear a mistake happened in the Sinn Féin office. Obviously, it was an invite with my name on it. I signed it. Um, afterwards, somebody put them in Aractus envelopes. This shouldn't have happened. Because I didn't check it, it's ultimately my responsibility. Um, we obviously said that it was a mistake. We're sorry about it. I have contacted the Oireachtas and they have sent me a bank account uh, bank account details this morning and we will be paying back €39.90 for the 42 envelopes. Now obviously it's not a huge thing at uh, €39 but it's more the principle isn't it? Oh no no I get the point. They shouldn't have been used. It's meant to be used literally for uh, you're not meant to use them for electoral purposes or anything that isn't specifically um, the Oireachtas members' uh, constituency work. So, yeah, no, I would I would have known that, but but I didn't check. I literally was seeing constituents, I signed these, and then I went to another event. But now, obviously, my... um, filling envelopes is not the most glamorous of tasks, and it normally falls to the most junior member in the office. So, presumably, this was a junior member of staff who just didn't know the rules around this. Is that what happened? It was. It wasn't even. It was a Sinn Féin member that came in out, out of <laughs> the goodness of their own heart. A, a bit of voluntary work, yep. So, in fairness, it's not on them. It's completely on me. So, have you a poster up on the wall now explaining the difference between oh, something that have, should go yeah, in yeah. the envelopes uh, and otherwise? Absolutely, yes. Uh, what uh, non-breakable protocols? Now, well, look, we will just ensure this won't happen again. And um, obviously, after something like this, it, it makes you just a lot more aware of the situation. Now, this money, the, the 39 euro, the vast sum, I know that goes back under, it's under SIPU regulations that that has to, just explain how that works for people. Um, well, look, it's straightforward. Um, I, I contacted the one-stop shop, uh, well, I contacted the Oireachtas, they put me through to the one-stop shop, who then obviously put me through to the correct person, who just said, all you have to do is pay the money back. Um, it's 95 cents per envelope, so thirty nine ninety for the um, 42 and then just ensure that I ring them to, to to tell them that it's actually in and I'll probably put a note beside it that it's just repayment of uh, Iraq, for Oireachtas envelopes. And tell me, after all of the hoopla, was the conference a success? Were you happy with it? Oh, we were very, we were very happy with it. Um, we had Laura Harmon, um, a rights activist, we had Mark Bassett, the barrister, and we had Professor Colin Harvey. And there was really good toing and froing between um, between the floor and the panel. And there was a notion, well, the general consensus was that we would have to form a localised group, that localised groups would need to be formed throughout the state. 
and that we would have to put serious effort into ensuring that we win this referendum on extending presidential voting rights to the diaspora and also to citizens in the north. All right. Well, obviously, we'll be hearing more about that uh, in the future. Councillor Rory Omuraku from Sinn Féin, thank you for uh, joining us this morning to explain that error around the Oireachtas envelopes being used. And back to you, Marie Kearns, with a few more comments. Yes, we had an interesting uh, correspondence, shall I say, from a listener who doesn't want to be named, but is in a bit of dilemma, uh, Orla. So I'll just read out the the, the the kind of the couple of details around this. Um, she got in touch with us because she says she's in a dilemma over her neighbour disposing of dog poo over a small area of waste ground that is connected to a small number of houses, including the neighbour's house. The neighbour in question has a very large dog and, as she says, you can imagine there's a lot of poo. She says the smell is unbearable and when we are sitting out the back over the summer trying to enjoy Uh, the weather, the smell was overwhelming and disgusting. They are renting the house. All the other houses around are privately owned. I don't really want to approach the lady because I'm not sure of the reaction that I might get. I contacted the council and I've been told really that there's not much they can do because it's not a council uh, owned piece of land or the the house is because the house is privately owned. And she says that there, she has seen the build-up of poo in the wasteland area and she's just wondering, have any other listeners have experience of this? What can she do to try and put an end to it? Because the smell coming into her home is unbearable. So sounds, this is a cry for help. Sounds just awful and maybe some of our listeners will have some ideas about that, but maybe a bottle of bleach might be the, the, the job. I know. But interestingly, um, some of some time ago, talking to women who were going forward for election through uh, the, the business Women for Election, and they were warned, you think it's glamorous, much of your life as a councillor is going to be dealing with dog poo. And that's the reality of it. It is a huge issue for people. It is. And it comes up here regularly, you know, people getting in touch over the situation, especially women maybe out walking their, their their babies and prams and the pram goes over, it goes back into the house, the house is destroyed. And I suppose this is a different side to it, somebody living next door and not knowing what they should do or who they can go to to try and solve the situation. Maybe try talking, but I know that can be hard to do as well. Moving away from that then, Orla, we have some response to the hospital waiting lists. Georgian says, it's very worrying listening to your interview, Orla. Uh, especially as your guest points out that we have a growing ageing population and where is that going to lead us down the road? Uh, Susan from Navin says our health system is struggling to cope. It needs more investment. I think this rather than climate change should be more important to the government, says Susan. Also, yesterday we were covering the bus situation with um, Marie Devine, the the, the mom from Beliver, and with some reaction to that, Orla, Orla, we live outside Nav in about three miles. There's no school bus provided. We have to pay €40 Euro a week for our two children with a private bus. In this day and age, you think school buses would be provided for everybody, says an LMFM listener. Grania says, I understand uh, where that mother is coming from. But on the other hand, this bus is for children with special needs. If you allowed the sibling of one child on, you could open a can of worms in the sense that 
Others would then look for a seat on the bus and where would that leave you? Another listener though says this is rules and regulations gone mad. Can the child not just be given a seat on the bus until the seat is needed? So that does probably make a bit of sense. And all right, particularly when the seats are empty as we heard um, but it's a very emotive issue. The school it buses. is. Hmm. Lisa got in touch to say it's a terrible situation. My son goes to a unit and gets the bus. I was going to send my daughter there only she wouldn't be allowed on the bus as it's only for kids from the special unit I don't see the harm on children from mainstream going on the bus if there is room and sibling is already on the bus and when the whole thing is towards integration why are we separating out kids with special needs it's just it goes against everything we actually believe we're, we're trying to educate children together and make them understand we're all the same yes and when you talk about carbon and climate change and all that doesn't it doesn't make sense for a mom to be driving behind a bus that's now full in a car all the way there and back every single day. Absolutely. All right, Marie Kearns, thank you for joining us with those comments and texts and do please keep them coming. You know you can always reach us on 086 1800 658 or you can phone us on 1850 Still to come on the programme, an update in the Garda search in the Kevin Lunny case. But first we'll take a break. Orla Carmody on LMFM. Older people are easy targets for fraudsters with plausible sounding telephone scams a big problem resulting in six times the amount of money lost compared to younger people. The Banking and Payment Federation of Ireland has called on families to check, chat and challenge your family members, gently obviously, to see if they've succumbed to any scams in recent times. And this is part of Fraud Awareness Week, which has been supported by former Fianna Fáil Minister Mary O'Rourke, who joins us now. Good morning, Mary. Hello, Orlis. Good morning to you. Now, I know they didn't get away with it in your case, but they strung you along. What happened exactly? They almost did. And I mean, I would count myself sort of smart, you know, but I got this call and a lovely sort of reassuring, but authoritative kind of voice. A male said, hello, is that Mrs. Mary O'Rourke? Yes. Well, I'm from Revenue. Now, we all know enough about Revenue that a kind of we, we either are afraid of them or interested, but they are authoritative. So I said, oh, yes, Revenue. And he said, I've this morning some good news for you. You have, or what is it? Uh, you have overpaid uh, your tax last year and we're going to have a refund for you. So I said, now, all I've been frauded up this far in the story. So I said, sounds very good. Good news. Thank you for telling me. So now he said, you give me your bank details and I can send it to it uh, straight away. So I said, now, just at that point, I got kind of an inkling. So I said, well, hold on now. You can post it to me. I like to see the postman coming up the path. And he said, no, no, I'll send it to your bank and then you can spend it today. Imagine, Orlith. And I said, uh, but I don't want it to spend it today. I have something else to do. So send it in the post and I put down the telephone because, of course, he was going to get my bank details. Was I going to get a big revenue haul? No, he was going to get a and, big And Mary, can haul. I ask you, what made you sort of get that inkling? Because up to that point, as you said, the voice was very assuring. It all sounded yes. very regular. What, what just gave you that niggle? 
well, when I, when I said, oh, good, you can post it, you know, and he said, no, no, I, he had asked earlier for the bank details. No, he said, you give me the bank details. And I said, why is he insisting, in my mind, why is he insisting on this when, as we all know, if you post today, you get it tomorrow? And I said, I can have it. I said to myself, there's something wrong in this now. And when he kept insisting, he needed, and I'd have this big haul in the afternoon I could go out and buy the local shop if I wanted so no I got windy windy is the word and that is the whole thing be be on the be on the alert and you know older people there can be the toast can be in the toaster there can be a ring at the doorbell there can be the phone call and it's all kind of a go-go and you can get flummoxed and you can get flustered and the next thing is you've given your numbers to what you think is a very responsible person in the revenue no doubt no but that's only one scam people asked at the event yesterday Oh, you'd be amazed, Orlith, the number of scams that are being imagined. Their very latest one, they ring, again, lovely, authoritative, kind of charming voices. And they say, do you have trouble memorizing your PIN number? And if the person says, oh, sometimes, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, and they say, well, now we've strategies, we've rhyming couplets. So you give me your number, your PIN number, and I'll give you a strategy, a couplet to go with it that you'll never forget it. Can and you imagine? That's extraordinary, and they, Mary. And and at the conference yesterday, was there any um, idea of where are the call centres? Where are these calls coming from? Are they no, here no, in you Ireland? See, there was a wonderful Garda man, a James from the Fraud Squad and the Garda. He said, this is worldwide, absolutely worldwide, European-wide and now Ireland-wide. They're operating a scam all over the world to different countries, to different older people. It's mostly older people because they have landlines to begin with. And you enjoy getting a call? And you enjoy getting a call and you enjoy answering it, especially if it's a sort of a charming, nice male voice. Yes, all of that is an enjoyable thing to get. So he said it's worldwide and they are constantly thinking. Now, the one about the rhyming couplet was a new one to me, but they're thinking up strategies and plans all the time and passing them from one to another. Did they speak yesterday about the one where they say they're going to fix your computer? Did you hear about that one? No, I didn't. That happened happened to a friend of my mother's, again, a a lady in her her late 90s, and she was very shocked by it. And she felt, she kind of felt like an Egypt afterwards that she believed, as you say, this lovely, warm, friendly Irish voice. But it was, um, you you have a problem with your computer. And she kind of cried, yeah, because everybody has a problem with their computer, let's face it. Of course, yeah. And they said, now, go on here and log in and do this. And it's Microsoft or it's this or it's that. And if you do this, I'll fix it. And I'm working remotely but I can fix it and the woman was halfway through all the steps he was telling her giving him access right into her computer before something happened and she just twigged it like you got that uneasy feeling and twigged it and stopped the process just just in time but she was about to let him right into her computer from the telephone You see there you are bank details and everything would be on it it's an amazing 
worldwide fraud and uh, you know Joe Duffy in his own way on the look on the radio at lunchtime after lunch has unearthed a lot of the frauds people who come to say I'll fix your roof or I'll fix your path or I'll do something and they run off with your money and that's kind of he has unearthed a lot of that but this is a far more sinister a far more pervasive they really get in on you Oh, yes, they sure do. And so I'm very happy that at the alertness or the spirit of alertness that we've um, engendered now by this conference. And this week is Fraud Week, uh, Fraud Awareness Week. So it, it, be, it behoves us all of whatever age we are to be on the lookout and to ensure that everyone, particularly older people, do not give detail. Keep the details to yourself. They're your secret. Nobody else's secret. They're yours between you and your bank when you go into them. So don't give them to anyone. Great advice. And when they suggested that we check, chat and challenge, what exactly did they mean by that, Mary Urk? Well, check where are you reading from? Who are you? Um, challenge. Who you say you're from revenue? Well, what is your name? You should have a name. Uh, anyone who rings you from the civil service will give the name. So challenge the person. But I wouldn't be bothered. Once I started to get uneasy, I just put down the phone, you know, rather than engage, use my voice any further. I decided I'd get rid of the person and I just plunked down the phone. But they, they continue and they, I thought they might have a book in which those who don't play ball are written off. Oh no, they'll be back again. They'll have a new strategy to, to tempt you with. Wow. It's a mushroom strategy. They'll pop up somewhere else, won't they? They will. They will indeed, Orla. Yes, indeed. One of the things I was struck by was the frequency, as you say, that this is happening in. And one in five older people are targeted at least weekly by attempts to defraud them. That's an awful lot. It would wear you down. It is. It is. It's a big, big worldwide. When I heard the guy, the man saying that, I thought to myself, wow, this is happening in Africa and Canada, Australia, wherever it's going on. And they're doing well out of it. Sure, I mean, okay, for as many people as Challenger put down the phone or whatever, there are people who are giving in and saying, oh, yes, this is my number and thank you so much for ringing me. You're really very good. Ah, ah. And then they're gone. And obviously then people would feel embarrassed that they were fooled and they mightn't report it. And I mean, reporting it is everything, isn't it? Oh, yes, and the Gaza man was very explicit on that. He said, look, older people sometimes are embarrassed at having been taken in, taken in, and listen, there's nothing we haven't heard, he said. You, no story you tell us is, isn't, is a strange story. We've already gone down that path. So ring the Gazi, report it immediately. Of course, report it immediately to your bank if something has happened immediately to your bank. And hopefully it will be in time. But no, they act with alacrity. Oh boy, with real alacrity. It's filched out as quick as you blink your eye and your your money is gone. It's terrible, Orla. It's awful. 
Well, Mary O'Rourke, um, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And all I can say is stay safe, Mary. Great to talk to you this morning. Lovely to talk with you too and to those FM. Thank we'll you indeed. You. Thanks indeed, uh, Mary. And the word from the Fraud Smart Survey is to please do report fraud. Don't be embarrassed. It can happen to anyone. And the other big advice is keep checking your bank accounts and be alert if any money is missing from it. Orla Carmody on LMFM. Now back to climate change and Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions are nearly 3 million tonnes over the pathway required to meet our 2020 targets and we're also well off course to achieve our 2030 targets. The time has come to show leadership to translate the ambitions in the Climate Action Plan into real action in Budget 2020 and this is according to Social Justice Ireland. Father Sean Healy is the Director of Social Justice Ireland and he joins us now. Good morning Father Sean. Now your reaction to the UN Climate Summit, first of all, what did you take from it? Well, I, I think it's highlighting the issue. It's uh, bringing it to the most, uh, the biggest, uh, most uh, uh, effect, our sort of uh, most representative uh, operation in the whole world. I mean, there's 200 countries represented there, and they're discussing this issue, and they're discussing it at a very high level. And most governments are sending very senior people, including Ireland, who are sending both. Uh, the, the teacher and the president, which is a very powerful statement of uh, how, how the country here believes this should be dealt with. But it's in a context uh, in which climate is a critical issue, uh, in which young people in particular have brought that to the, to the uh, sort of into the perspective or into, into frame for large numbers of people who wouldn't have taken it seriously up to now. But there's also a context in which, for example, Ireland is one of the worst performers in the European Union when it comes to meeting our climate targets. And uh, it is certainly time to show leadership and not just lip service. I think Ireland has been strong on rhetoric up to now, but not very strong in terms of the kinds of things that need to be done by uh, going beyond talking about them and actually doing them. And I think we have a situation where, for example, uh, we uh, in Ireland are way off course to achieve our 2030 targets and we need to be able to sort of translate the ambitions in the climate action plan set out by government to, to turn that into real action in budget 2020 and that means that being serious about that means having a really substantial sustainability package in budget 2020 and what we're proposing is that the government have a 500 million uh, sustainability package and one side setting out spending that how to spend that money on a range of issues and then on the other side showing how that money can be actually collected by more sustainable uh, resources raising or resource raising systems in, in the tax system for example dealing with issues like uh, the fact that aviation fuel is untaxed at the moment and the, 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 it's the only fuel untaxed and I, it seems to me while some of the airlines are very efficient at what they do they're still creating huge problems with carbon footprint and there needs to be some kind of reining in of that not just uh, giving them a free pass and others like car drivers or whatever um, having to put a huge amount of Well uh, you've, you've hit on quite a few um, issues there um, Father Sean Healy first of all um, the optics now obviously you say it's a big statement that he shook and, and the president and a full team being there showing our commitment but as you say will that translate into action and then as one of our commentators pointed out this morning even the fact that they're having a big uh, summit like that do we have to stop looking at things like those summits and start doing them on, on Skype because 
of the sustainability issues around around flights. So how much of it is actually going to translate into action is, is the question, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, I have no problem with the idea of doing it on Skype or doing it on Zoom or any other technology that gets us to talk to each other. Uh, and I think it's, but I think it's also good to meet from time to time. But the, the bottom line in it is that there needs to be a sustainability package, for example, uh, that it puts money into retrofitting that puts money into renewable energy, that puts money into biodiversity, and maybe most of all puts money into a just transition fund. Now, what is, what's a just transition fund? That's what the government is calling it, and that's good. Uh, we've recommended they do that for some time. Now they're saying, the thesis is saying at the UN that we'll do it. Uh, and what it means is basically we have to transition as a society and as an economy from where we are to a situation where we are much more... Uh, uh, carbon friend, friend, like making sure that we're not actually um, d- damaging the environment through uh, increasing our carbon footprint. And we, to do that, it means people have to change, many people have to change their type of employment, many people have to change their lifestyle and so on. And what we're saying is that there needs to be a transition fund put in place to make sure that that transition is Fair. I'll give you an example. Just before you come to that, if if you don't mind, um, Father Sean, um, the 500 million sustainability package. Now, we heard this morning that the Taoiseach contends ring fencing that. So obviously that means turning it back into exactly what you're talking about, the retrofitting, etc, etc. But realistically, how much of it will come back to us, do you think? And how much will people be expected to pay another tax, more taxes, increased cost of, of, of fuels, increased cost of, of all of, the, of these materials that we need? I know the idea is to, to get us to stop using them, but at the same time, in the short term, I know there's a lot of concern about people that they just will see a, a greater taxation. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the critical issue here, if you take a single example that would impact on your listeners in, in, in the whole LMFM re, re, range, uh, the, the issue of, of transport and public transport. The vast majority of people who have, uh, have to go to uh, take up employment every day have to travel there by car. Why? Because there isn't a decent public transport system that's well connected that can, they can get onto and go by public transport to their place of employment. As a result, they have to drive their cars, burn diesel or burn petrol, and as a result, create lots of carbon problems. Now, to ask people or to start charging people uh, additional money for carbon is only a part of the solution. You must at the same time put the public transport network into place at a level that will ensure that the person uh, who is who's going to be incentivized to give up using the car to drive to work will actually have public transport to drive to work. It is nonsense of government if they were if they were basically not putting that piece of the just transition into place. Another example might be support for investment uh, for retrofitting homes. Uh, if we're going to start. Uh, dealing with the carbon problem, we have to recognise that an enormous amount of carbon is, is used, generating heat that is then lost in houses that are not basically uh, properly insulated. So they have to be properly retrofitted. And that involves money, and that involves, should be done. And so, uh, and it needs to be done from the beginning. Some people can pay for retrofitting. It's costly. Uh, some people can pay for it out of their own resources because they're well off. 
they, they, they don't have to be first in the queue. Uh, but the, the people who are quite vulnerable, uh, it's very important to make sure that they're already living in poverty, a great many of them, and they're going to face bigger bills if this is, is the way the government wants to go and uh, increasing the carbon price. You've said so in, your, in your statement that I got from you that there's a very interesting uh, retrofitting programme in the Netherlands is, yeah. and you're saying this is what we should base it on. Is that one government funded or is it part funded or how does it work, do you know? I, I, I agree. It is part funded by uh, by government, and it is basically a situation in which um, retrofitting is focused on people who are vulnerable, and it is put into place. And it's done. There's a very big government investment in it, and it is kind of prioritised, if you like. And as a result of that, their retrofitting is producing a situation where their buildings are becoming uh, energy efficient much faster uh, than ours, for example. And as a result when they put up a carbon tax or something of that nature, uh, the cost of, of buying energy um, and the cost of producing energy, they, they actually have a different uh, time frame in dealing with the outcomes or the impacts of it. It's critically important to protect the vulnerable in this context. There's a lot of people who are in poverty. There's a lot of people living in rural Ireland who are miles away from their place of employment and there's no public transport of any kind in place to bring them to or from their work. These kinds of issues must be addressed at the same time, not afterwards. Not a situation where we will put the tax on now and we'll be back to you in 10 years' time uh, to if we could retrofit your house or put a public transport system within the uh, reach of where you could get it or access it so that you could uh, have access to your place of employment on public transport. They're just two of the issues, by the way. There's a whole lot of other stuff as well. The development of a circular economy, is sort of so that they use, reuse, uh, recycle, that kind of stuff. The focus on the bioeconomy and regional strategies in this, these areas and targets to be achieved uh, need to be put into place. All right, At the well, moment, we, we're missing those kinds of things and places like the North East then get, lose out because they're not prioritised. Well, Father Sean Healy, I'm sure you will put so much of that and more into your pre-budget submission and hopefully make an impact with it. Father Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland, thank you uh, for joining us this morning on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing on the programme this morning, Gardaí in Cavan have completed a search at a site they believe is connected to the abduction and assault of Kevin Lunny, the Quinn Holdings executive. They won't be releasing any further details, though, for operational reasons. We're joined now by Stephen Breen, crime editor with the Irish Sun. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Arla. Now, obviously, without going into any of the more gruesome details uh, around mm-hmm. this, and but it's got worse and worse as the story has emerged of actually what happened to the unfortunate man. But what are the guardies saying about the search site? We, we do believe they have come up with some findings. Yes, well, at the moment, the Gardaí have completed the search that they had undertaken uh, in the last few days in the cabin area. And it was a search of the site where they suspected where Mr. Lunny was held captive uh, when he was abducted uh, from his home last Tuesday night. So the, what they what Gardaí did yesterday evening was they examined a horse box, which they believe was used to hold him and to torture him during his ordeal. That horse box has now been removed. It was removed. They used a crane to bring it out of the area. Um, the, the horse box has been removed and will now undergo a very stringent uh, forensic examination. And uh, what emerged yesterday was that after uh, an initial examination of the, the horse box, the, the guardian are hopeful that they, 
they will recover some kind of DNA evidence that, that may bring them to the people behind this or and, and, and do they believe the that the, the actual torture of Mr Lunny took place within this horse box? Yes, that's the, the, the belief at the moment. So that they're trying to establish if they can establish any uh, the traces of DNA evidence within um, the horse box. And indeed, if they can find evidence that, you know, if, if they uncover, like, for example, um, DNA evidence of Mr Lunny, that would then show that um, he, he was indeed held there. So that's a crime scene that they have. I mean, they also have, the, the PSNI uh, operation relating to the property where he was abducted from in, in County Fermanagh. So now the next focus is on examining the horse box to see what traces of evidence they can find, which may you know, lead them in the right direction and try to identify those responsible for the sentiment. Now, obviously, um, Mr. Lunny had suffered an attack before and there are many other um, threats have been made to executives of Quinn Holdings. What are the Gardaí saying about the investigation into these threats? Well, the investigation is at an early stage and you know that this has been going on since 2011 when there have been numerous incidents of firebombings. There has been intimidation on social media. Um, cars have been set on fire. Uh, business executives have been assaulted on the street and they also receive the hate mail, you know, um, uh, advising the, the, the executives from Quinn uh, Holdings to resign from their positions or, or ultimately face a permanent solution. So this has been going on for quite some time. The investigations are ongoing, but I think last week's incident takes it to a whole new different level and it shows the level of violence that this criminal guy and who are behind this campaign of intimidation are, are, are ready to engage in. And the, the, there is a concern there. Obviously, there are concerns in the community. There are concerns from the, the company itself that other executives could be targeted. But it, it's about intimidation. It, it's about you know this criminal organisation uh, trying to intimidate those people behind uh, Quinn Holdings to Quinn Industrial Holdings to get them um, out of their, their place of work, out of their business. And uh, as you say, uh, described in the papers this morning as as a level of depravity and a level of violence that uh, we haven't really seen before. It, it seems to have gone to a, a new depth as such. It's a completely different level where you have a criminal gang here, a well-organised gang who are willing to abduct uh, a father of six from outside his home, uh, take him away. You know, it was orchestrated where, you know, a car that was used um, is burnt out. And they pour bleach over him uh, to try and remove any forensic or DNA evidence. They use a Stanley knife to um, remove his fingernails. It shows the level of torture. And then it also, like in our story today, you know, we, we reveal how you know the guy actually used a Stanley knife to carve letters in, into his chest. So it really was a depraved act. It, it's a traumatic incident for Mr. Lunny and, and his family, but. It shows the PSNI and the Gardaí that the level of criminality that they're dealing with, that you do have an organised criminal gang who, for whatever what reason they have, and, and trying to you know initiate a new leadership within Quinn Industrial Holdings are, are willing to use these extreme levels of violence. Finally then, um, Stephen Breen, the area where this horse box was found in Balignan, County Cavan, can you describe it? I'm sure the Gardaí are looking for uh, support from the public on any unusual activity around that area. Just describe it for us. Yeah, it's a very uh, remote area, so it is. Um, it's, 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 it's an isolated area and it's, you know, I spoke to someone yesterday who said, look, it's only through the grace of God that, that Mr Lunny was found because he was in a very distressed state. You know, he'd been through a, a traumatic experience, you know, where he had been tortured for a considerable amount of time. And if it had been a few hours later when he was found, he could have been in serious trouble. But this is an area that would be known, you know, to people 
living in the cabin area, it, it is quite rural. So um, it's it's that the ideal spot, you know, one might say, where you could hold someone captive for for some time. So. And the guardy quickly identified this area, but anyone, any farmers or anybody, any motorists, anyone who was in that area who noticed anything suspicious from cars or um, other uh, vehicles, just they have to come forward and, and tell guardy what they saw. Indeed. And uh, thank you for that, uh, Stephen Breen, crime editor with the Irish Sun. Orla Carmody on LMFM. And news just in, Boris Johnson's prorogation of the UK Parliament has been deemed unlawful by the Supreme Court. The decision was unanimous. It was made by the 11-judge Supreme Court after British Prime Minister Johnson suspended Parliament for five weeks ahead of the October 31st Brexit deadline. But the Justice, uh, the President of the Supreme Court in the UK, just to... Brenda Hale, she said that the issue would be justicable. In other words, it's capable of a challenge in the courts. So we may see this one go on and go on and we will follow it here on the programme, no doubt. Orla Carmody on LMFM. Now we're joined by Gartha Paul Connolly from Dundalk, Gartha Station. Uh, you're very welcome. And what do you have for us today regarding crime in the North East? Good morning, Orla. First thing we have, Gardy and Drogheda are looking for your listeners' help in relation to an incident which occurred at Brookville Park in Drogheda on Saturday evening last, the 21st of September, at 8.20pm. Now, an elderly lady was walking home from Mass when she was approached by a lone male as she entered the the Brookville estate on the Ballymckenney Road. This male threatened the lady with a knife and a a black handbag was handed over. What time of the day was this? It was 20 past 8 in the evening time. In the evening. So plenty of people about, busy area. Um, but starting to get a little bit dusk as well. Well, just starting days. to get dark is yeah. right. Um, winter's yeah. creeping in. But this, this male threatened the lady and her handbag was handed over. Now, we don't have any direction of travel, what direction he went in, or a description of him. But just appealing to your listeners, if anyone is in around that area, round about that time, 20 past 8 last Saturday evening, if they noticed a male hanging around or indeed running away from the area, or if anyone was driving their car in that area and may have dash cams, they may have uh, captured this this mail on the dash but cam. That was twenty past eight last Saturday night. Last Saturday evening, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next, we had a break in to a garage at a Meadow Hill, Baltra in Drogheda on Sunday last, the twenty second of September, at ten past three in the day. Entry was gained to the garage by forcing open the front shutter door. And now a ride on lawnmower and a set of golf clubs were taken. So during the day, ten past three, last Sunday evening. In, if any, in Baltra, yeah. Baltra, yeah. yeah. If anyone, if anyone noticed anything or seen anything, or indeed, to to remove this right on lawnmower, you're going to need some sort of transport, some sort of trailer. There might have been a, a trailer or a, a, yeah, a van indeed. or some of some description, exactly. Next, we had a break into to the the Kells swimming pool on Sunday morning, early hours of Sunday morning, last the twenty second September at half one in the morning, one thirty a.m. Entry was gained by smashing the glass in the front door. Now, offices were ransacked and damage was caused to a vending machine. So again, anyone in around the swimming pool area in Kells, um, early hours of last Saturday night, Sunday morning, plenty of people out socialising, coming home, taxis. If you notice anything unusual and strange, give Kells Garda station. I was thinking there, why would anyone break in to a swimming pool? <laughs> but the vending machine, obviously. The vending the machine and maybe um, wanted to practice their backstroke, maybe. Obviously, in the middle of the night. Next, we had another break in to Woody's Hardware Store on the Kells Road in Navan on Saturday last, the 21st of September at 11.40pm. Front door of the store was smashed and entry gained. Now, there were two power washers were taken. Power washers, they're, they're Roke power washers, or OK as they make them. Roke power washers, black in colour. Again, it's going to need transport to transport these things away. And as, as in anything, 
if you're offered these items for sale, if there's too good to be true, it usually is. Buyer beware, you could be handling stolen property. And this was the, the Woody store and they literally just smashed in the just front Just smashed door. the front door. No tact about this, just smashed the front door. And again, and something must have been used. Some heavy implement must have been used to, to smash very heavy plate glass windows. Yeah, window. so they're, they're going to make noise. They're going to be seen. Um, just if, if anyone again in around the area noticed anything or heard anything, give Kells Garda, or Navin, sorry, Navin Garda Station a ring. Okay. And next we had the theft of a trailer from a yard at Castle Martin, Navin, on Tuesday last, the 18th of September, between 9am and 6pm. The trailer was described as a four-wheeled, tough Mac trailer, silver in colour. Again, going to need transport to transport this trailer away. But indeed, maybe somebody might have seen this trailer parked up somewhere and... Um, don't realise it was stolen. Or indeed, it mightn't have been transports as such. They might have just hitched it up if it's. If oh, just, just hook it, hook it up to a drive or yeah, something. Hook it yeah. up to a uh, Jeep or whatever it may be. And, and what and kind of a yard away. was it? Do we know? Not sure what sort of a yard now. Um, I assume it's a builder's yard or a farmyard. Yes, okay. And last we have, unfortunately, there was 20 vehicles broken into during last week, during the week, in the Louth Meath area. Um, and items taken from these vehicles. Now, 13 of these vehicles were left unlocked. So the simple wee measures you can take to prevent yourself being a victim of crime and the most simplest thing is to lock your lock car. Lock your car. It seems it's, obvious, but it's it so is, easy to forget. You just jump out and maybe they're all button jobs now. You jump into the house or maybe the, your child's the last out of the car and you don't lock the door. But... Um, at the very least, lock your car and do not leave items in the vehicle. And obviously, obvious items on the seats and that they're attracting people. So hide things, put them yeah, away, put you've, them in the boot. You have these opportunistic people going around and they're just maybe trying doors. And if the car's open, they'll have a wee rummage around. But don't leave, as you say, don't leave jackets, laptops, phones, things like that visible in the car. Anything at all. Anything, Anything at, all. at all. Keep obvious. the back seats clear. Absolutely. And keep your, your, your car nice and, and tidy locked. at the same time. <laughs> and locked. Exactly. Garda, uh, Paul Connolly from Dundalk Garda Station. Thank you very Thank much you. for joining us for our weekly roundup of crime in the Northeast. That's where we have to leave it on the programme. My thanks to producers Marie Kearns and Maggie Maguire, Chris Murray on sound. And we'll be back with you all going well tomorrow morning at 9.15. Looking forward to having your company again then. Thank you and bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 